This is the NSCA's Art of Coaching podcast, episode four. But really, I, I wish I would have spent more time on that initially and set the foundation because I was a very egotistical, selfish person for a long, long time because I thought I could leverage my knowledge and, and, and be successful. And ultimately, that's going to limit you. This is the NSCA's Coaching Podcast, where we talk to strength and conditioning coaches about what you really need to know, but probably didn't learn in school. There's strength and conditioning, and then there's everything else. Welcome to the NSCA's Coaching Podcast. I'm your host, NSCA Head Strength and Conditioning Coach, Scott Caulfield. With me today, my guest, Lance Walker, Global Performance Director for Michael Johnson Performance out of Dallas, Texas. Lance, thanks for being here today. Thank you, Scott. This is cool. Appreciate it. You're here for the Hammer Strength West Regional Clinic. Uh, just had a great session on multidirectional training. And uh, tell us a little bit, you're uh, coming up at our national conference this year, 40th anniversary in July. Uh, what are you talking about at national? Well, I, I'm I'm getting the chance to, to to present on some some long-term athlete development concepts around age-biased uh, speed training. So it's going to be uh, a great chance to, to to share some of the work that we're doing in Michael John's performance, but also the 20 plus years of mistakes that I've made working with young athletes. So it's it's a humbling uh, opportunity to get to go to national convention and, and share some of, of what we're doing, and, and hopefully stimulate some interest in in pushing the profession forward in, in areas of, of long-term athlete development and, and specifically around speed development. Very cool. We yeah we appreciate you uh, being able to speak at that, and especially on such a kind of hot topic related to LTAD. So we just had a position stand come out on that. Um, I do want to kind of start us off like I have with our podcast a little bit differently than the average podcast with some of my uh, unique questions. So uh, <laughs> if you had a magic wand and could eliminate any coaching practice, what would what would you banish from any coach ever being able to do again? Oh, gosh. I, I saw the questions up front and I still I still struggle. The, the one and it's going to sound kind of bad is is uh, is selfishness. I think uh, and, and I, I was a selfish coach for a long time and I still have some some selfishness in me. And if you ever look at me, I'll always have some sort of red, either a red ring or a red bead or something. And it's a remind me to, to be selfless and to be less reactive. But it's it's selfishness, I think, that limits us. And, and some of that may be ego. Uh, but yeah, eliminate the selfishness across our profession and, I, and, and become more selfless. And so many coaches are already selfless. It's not like the profession needs a whole lot of this this pruning, but uh, that would be the one thing, be selfishness. No, that's a great one. I, I think I definitely find... Uh like you said, a lot, a lot of the coaches we do interact with are really great at that. And some of yeah. the top best ones, you know, historically, the John Woodens and some of those other people have just been incredible at it. But so it's easy. It's, it is easy to kind of get caught up in what you're doing. And uh, and for the wrong reasons, right? right? I mean, right. you're doing it for, for – we're in the service industry. Yeah. We're a product, yeah. but we're the service industry, and we're, yeah. we're here to serve. And so yeah. trying to be more selfless, I think yeah. that's that's something that it kind of – it's, it's an indictment of myself. It's not an indictment of anybody specific it's what I look in the mirror and if I want to eliminate in myself right. it's being selfish yeah I love that that's great uh, okay another kind of different one if you could uh, name any three people either living dead or fictional that you'd want to take out to dinner or have a beer with uh, and talk some shop who, who oh, would that be gosh uh, <laughs> 
and this was another good one. I think the, the Dr. Seuss would be one. I, I, I like the way Dr. Seuss uh, thought. I think that that kind of thinking, that free thinking, and kind of cool and uh, and and catchy, and some of the things that I remember, some of the books that I read as a kid, it stuck with me. You know, some of the way he said things. It would be cool to to to, to have dinner and listen to Dr. Seuss tell me a little bit of something. Um, the other one is. Um, is is probably the world record largemouth bass. Okay. I'd like to talk to him and find out what he likes to eat and where he lives because I'd like to that's one of my life goals is to catch the world record largemouth bass nice. and and I'm not making any progress towards that right now. <laughs> nice. uh, but I think if I had some dinner with him I could probably uh, find that out. Um and and yeah, the third one is is I'm going to have dinner with this this person at some point but it's not going to be while I'm on this on this earth. So I think my faith uh, is something that's very important to me and and guides a lot of what I do, but that 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 conversation is going to happen. I just, yeah. I'm hoping it's not going to happen today because right. I'd, I'd like right. to talk to you first, but, uh, but ultimately that's going to happen. Fantastic. No, those are great ones. Um, how about this? If you got, you, you're tasked with starting a new strength conditioning program, and I'm, I'm sure you've done this multiple times throughout your career, you got a limited budget. You can only pick, I'm just arbitrarily picking three items. What's that minimum three things yeah. that you, you're going to need to get yeah. started? And I'm, it's, it's going to be an evasive uh, answer here, but it's, it's actually really true. Number one is, is uh, gravity. <laughs> I'm gonna need gravity. To, and I know that sounds, it sounds cliche, but I, I, sometimes I think I tend to look at all the resources that I need to be effective. One of them is a given all the time. Uh, and so we have one of the three all to all of us all the time. The other one is time. I think that's, to me, that's the greatest resource is we're going to be given time. Uh, we're going to have a specific amount of time that's going to be dedicated to what it is that we're doing, whether that's a coach supporting us or an administration supporting us. And then third is a plan, a strategic plan. And those are all, those cost zero dollars, right? But if I don't have those, nothing I'm going to buy with my budget is going to really, is going to optimize what it is that I'm doing. Yeah. So yeah, it's gravity, time, and a strategic plan that we're all committed to and we're all aligned up around. And I think I can, I can do pretty good work uh, with, with those three things. Yeah. And I know it is a cliche, but you know, the whole failing to plan is playing to fail yeah. thing. I mean, you're hundred percent right. It wouldn't matter what piece of actual equipment you picked. If you didn't have those other things that you just mentioned, there's no chance that yeah. Yeah. going to be successful. That's exactly uh, right. I totally really agree. Cool. Um, now you've been global performance director for 12 years. Yeah. We talked about it earlier. Um, you were in a number of different settings before that. Tell, tell me kind of, you know, a little bit about what you did before mm -hmm. Michael Johnson and about why I change because you know I think a lot of coaches listening into this too maybe at different points in their yeah. career and they think oh you know well could I be a professional strength coach or could you know do I stay in yeah. college and you know what goes into some of that decision making yeah it's a long path and it was it's been an interesting undulating periodization to my <laughs> career if that's the right term to use uh, because it's not been sort of linear it's not been this you know that take the next step and it's a step up and it's a step up it's been lots of these ups and downs a lot of them by choice um, that you had the opportunity to to jump into a different profession or a different uh, piece of the profession and that wasn't necessarily that doesn't necessarily equate to more pay or more opportunities it, right then it may have been something that set you up for the next phase of your career so mine's very undulating and up and down 
Um, but it's all tr- been tracking in a trajectory to doing what I'm doing now, which is leveraging my background in areas of, of knowledge, right, of, of the sports sciences where, where it started and then the, the, the sports physical therapy side of it and coaching, being able to leverage all three of those to develop a sort of a, a, a set of, of ethos around the mission to helping people realize their fullest potential regardless of age, limitation, health status. I mean, we're, we can cross yeah. the full spectrum. So it all starts back um, for me um, as, a, as an athlete. And I was I was uh, the worst probably athlete to ever play Division One football. <laughs> and I was in Coach Bill Snyder's first first class. I was a recruited walk-on. And I think they just recruited me to see if, you know, if I could come in and fill a spot until somebody else came along yeah. that was better. And I just was stupid enough to survive. And I, and I survived survived and, and I got an opportunity to to uh, to be on scholarship there and 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 spent a lot of time uh, as a as a young sort of 18 19 20 year old injured and uh, I was I was I came out of a high school program that had no strength conditioning I was a farm kid so I had some natural sort of work capacity uh, but I spent the first three years of my career injured and, and four or five surgeries later I was coming to the end of a career where I think I'd caught maybe three passes uh, spent most of my time in rehab uh, got to know those people really well got to know my strength coach really well and and coming out of that experience uh, thinking man what what would have been different had I done something different in high school? No offense to my high school coaches or my grade school, but I, I, I was a pretty good athlete, but I was missing this strength thing. Yeah. Uh, and then there was this whole realm of physical therapy that I learned about that, gosh, those guys are pretty sharp cats, you know, and they, they, they know a lot about injury prevention and rehabilitation. But when they were done with me, there was a chasm that, that I was still in that I really wasn't strength conditioning, but I really wasn't PT anymore. I got caught in that gaposis. Sure. And so I decided to go to graduate school um, and learn a little bit about some of those gaps. And that first graduate school opportunity came as a GA at the University of Oklahoma. And the GA position started out as a position with the health and sports sciences department crossing over with the health uh, physical education department as a researcher and a teacher. So they shoved me in a lab. So I was in the basement for the first year and a half doing research. Uh, we were doing some of the first accelerometer research that was the old wire accelerometers that we put on the Smith machines. You know, we actually presented in the 93 conference. I think it was out in Phoenix, maybe on that, on bar speed and power. And we were breaking down stuff in Quattro Pro and all that (laughs) old stuff. Um, But I learned really quickly that the lab was going to be important to me, but it wasn't going to be my, it wasn't going to be my calling. And I wasn't really going to be fulfilled in that role. And I met uh, Blair Prince and Joe Jurassic with the strength coaches at the University of Oklahoma and doing some research with their wrestling team. And uh, they lit me up first day. I mean, you know, you're a researcher, you, you have no, no, you know, no, place in here with these athletes we're training in here get your you know your lab tests and your urine tests and your blood tests out of here uh, but I learned I learned that that's where I need to be that that and, and it would fuse that gap that that, that that maybe existed between the applied sports science at that time it was just sports science not right. applied but right. uh, and the, and the practical world and so I shifted gears and became a GA with with that department crossing over with the, the research side and ultimately became a, a, an assistant coach um, as part of my graduate school. And then I still had that inkling I wanted to learn about the physio space, that we were still sending athletes off to these physical therapists that were well-intended and well-meaning, but they would come back to us and they weren't ready for, we, there was this weird gap that nobody really, what do we do with this, you know? And uh, I wanted to make sure I fleshed that out. And so they allowed me to be a full-time assistant coach as I also went to PT school. And so that was almost a death sentence, right? I almost killed myself for three years trying to do that uh, and became a physio, went out and practiced full time as a physio to make sure I had some skins on the wall in that profession, got some opportunities to come back uh, into the profession, set up a sports medicine and strength conditioning program for a a private school in Oklahoma City called Cassidy. And it was coming out of the ground. It was just building everything from, from from the ground up and staffing it and programming it. 
did that for three years and then got the call from the Cowboys saying, hey, do you want an opportunity? I said, sure. Well, be down here day after tomorrow because it starts it starts then. And it was a, um, just an opportunity. There was no pay associated you know, necessarily with it. We, I didn't know what I was getting into, but I just knew I needed to continue my path. And, and that's where it started with the NFL with, with Coach Jurassic and, and, uh, and Bill Parcells' staff a little bit. I was the grunt, the worst, lowest assistant on that staff uh, and was able to learn a great deal of how to patch all these pieces together for high performance. And then Michael Johnson, who I met um, at the tail end of my career there at the Cowboys, was talking about opening up a facility in Dallas. And, and we met and initially headed off and said, look, well, you could really leverage a lot of this background to the betterment of the athletes that I'm trying to reach with my next phase of my career in my center. Let's work together. And that's been, that was 12 years ago. Wow. Yeah. There's so many great uh, parts of that, that I'm thinking of other questions and like things to touch on too. Uh, you deal with a lot of athletes. You also deal with a lot of coaches. A lot of what you're doing is educating more coaches. What are some things if there's some new coaches listening into this and, and it could be things that you would do differently now, but like what are some of the things that they absolutely must know or you recommend that they, you know, learn about if you're trying to get a job as a yeah. strength and conditioning coach? Yeah, I wish I could rewind the clocks because I did most of what I learned I did I, I learned because I screwed it up so badly. Um, but if you rewind the clocks all the way back, I think number one would 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 probably be less about the sort of the, the the industry skill set, the, the the stuff, the sticks and bricks that we do every day, and and making sure that you you dedicate a piece of your development the rest of your life to your sort of emotional intelligence, your your people skills, your your ability to be empathetic, your your ability to um, seek first to understand, all those cliche things that we hear about, and but really, I, I wish I would have spent more time on that initially and set the foundation because I was a very egotistical, selfish person for a long, long time because I thought I could leverage my knowledge. Yeah. And, and, and be successful. And ultimately, that's going to limit you uh, if you take that mindset. But then number two, I guess, is, is know, know humans. Know about human interaction. Know about how, you, how, how to respond to people, how they respond to you. Being able to read people, I think, is another piece of that. Um, and then certainly the, the physiology and the anatomy of the body. I think if you, if you know that and then you watch human movement enough and you're a, you're a fan of human movement, if you have those tools, those three things right there, I think you're pretty well set to then have a, an ability to take in the information that NSCA, for instance, puts out, which is unbelievable, and there's volumes of it. So many folks, I think, lack sort of the system of arranging that information sure. to pack it into, like, it's like I'm a fisherman, and I have all these great lures that I want, yeah. but I don't have a really good tackle box system to put it in. Yeah. So then when I pull up on that great bass that I'm trying to catch, I'm trying to find, I don't know what worm to use because right. I can't find it. I don't know where it's, what context to use that worm in, yeah. but I, I got the worm you know i got this this nice jelly worm here i just don't know how to use it in what context so an arrangement system is is another thing so i almost wish i would go back and had set that arrangement system up first and then you can you can just begin to 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 pluck off the shelf these things that you want to add to your system or your philosophy and you become sort of a an amalgam of all things uh, all things great that fit what it is that's best for your emotional intelligence the way you deal with people the, the 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 folks that you deal with and then the things that works best for you right and I think those are the sorts of the things that if I had to rewind, it would it would be in that sort of order. Yeah, no, and I love it. I love the EQ stuff. We talk a lot about you know connecting with people and coaching being about relationships oh, and, yeah. and not just results. Um, but you you know you mentioned a lot of the NSCA resources too, and obviously we're adding this podcast in to be another resource. But you know when did you kind of first get involved with the NSCA? Whether that was 
going to a state clinic or getting yeah. your CSCS yeah. at the first Way point back when, or yeah. speaking at the 93 right. conference. Yeah, it was tell back, us a little uh, bit about that. It was back uh, coming out of graduate school. Uh, my first set of graduate school was we did a lot of research with the accelerometry. And so we started getting uh, the ability to go out and, and present that data. It was so funny in Phoenix, I think that first conference, whoever was before us, there was probably 500 people in that big lecture hall. You were probably there. And they were talking about squat technique or something, right? And then it, we were the last presentation of the entire conference. And, you know, 496 people got up and walked out. And I think there was four <laughs> people in there. But a couple of them were some of the real pioneers and yeah. movers and shakers yeah. of the profession. We were talking about technology and, right. and strength conditioning. Right. That's a little bit and that's a little bit wacky. Yeah. Um, but what I felt when I was there was, man, there's so many resources here. I, I loved that conference. Yeah. Uh, and I ended up going then. I think Kansas City was either the next year or somewhere thereafter. And I went to a pre my first pre-conference. Yeah. And was in there with, there was about 14 of us, I think, in there. But on the front row was Mike Boyle and Mark Verstegen and all these these pioneers, you know, uh, Alver Meal. They're in the front row of this thing listening to Dan Path and, and uh, some others talk about, I don't know what it was, speed. Greg Cook was talking about some of the things that he was doing that was the sort of the, the seeds to the FMS that he was working with some teams on, on injury. Um, prediction equations and things from some of the testing that I had I'd picked up from, from my health and sports science background. And it just it just flicked on like th- this is the this is the deal this is the resource where these things all come in and they come to the surface and you're able to go in like a grocery store and if you know you're if you know you're trying to bake you can go in and I and know what you're shopping for so I'm gonna I need some flour you know because I I want to bake some bread yeah. where's the best flour and uh, and that became a huge it was it was a resource for me it was a it, it wasn't a very symbiotic relationship because I wasn't sure. giving much back to the profession at that point got CSCS I think in 90 I, I can't even remember um, and then to be fair I, I got away from the NSCA yeah. and I think a lot of that was ego a lot of that was selfishness I wasn't getting anything back right. that I felt like was you know yeah. I'd gotten all the information I could get the information anyway from somebody else why would I pay them it's not helping me get it I had a really bad attitude early in the process and I've come full circle back and I've seen that, wow, that, that was a real hole uh, in my professional development and my networking and in my emotional intelligence development that I missed. And so uh, I got back involved with NSCA, got started to get invited to, to speak at some of these sorts of things again, where I'm able to give back some of my some of my failures, I guess, to help those that, uh, that that are following the path that I don't step over there. There's a big pile of doo-doo right there. Don't step right there. You know, I'm trying to do a bit more of that to give back because I do feel like I've missed. A, there's a chunk of space in there that I, I should have been doing more and I wasn't. And so now what I'm seeing with the NSA is very exciting because it's it's starting to be multidisciplinary where everybody's coming together, getting on the same the same the same page. The the youth stuff is exciting. The ability to the physio space they're starting to come in and see CSCS as a real differentiator for them and their practices uh, and then the, and still being able to pull the applied people into those rooms and I'm seeing less and less people walking in with those egos they're, they're, they're leaving their egos at the door to really sit down and move the profession forward and I'm seeing that from leadership I'm seeing that in these conferences uh, and that to me is a, just such a breath of you know what this thing is really going to do what I think it can do and that is push this profession uh, to that that paradigm shift that's probably going to happen in our lifetime sometime yeah. there's people now in process in place that this organization could be a real driver for that yeah no that's cool and uh you know i had talked to you about it too yesterday when when i was saying i was kind of at a little bit of that point too and yeah. i wanted i felt like i wanted to have a bigger impact on you know what you got as a member because yeah. it was like i'm not getting yeah what i need what i yeah. need right and 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 the clinics and stuff like that for me being involved especially and i love like uh 
Drew, I think from Colorado said it yesterday that he likes these smaller events and yeah. I do too. Yeah. I mean, I love the national events. I love the big ones, but the state clinics, that's the grassroots of the NSCA where, yeah. you know, people really can come out for the first time and get involved and meet the Lance Walkers and the Drew Wilsons and all yeah. these other guys and Matt Winnings and, and get a chance to talk to them and, you know, people get that experience. And that, that was what people did to me when Is I came right? to an NSC. I went to yeah. my first NSC national conference and some of these big time volunteers, you know, whether they're board members or NSCA headquarters staff said, Hey, come out, come out yeah. with us after tonight. And, wow. uh, and I got to hang out. Never with forget them. that. I was like, yeah. Wow. You know, yeah. and some of them aren't involved anymore. You know, yeah. some of them are, some of them aren't. Um, and that's the nature, obviously people, especially in a, you know, a nonprofit member based organization, volunteerism yeah. ebbs and flows. Yeah, absolutely. So it's awesome to see uh, people like yourself that have done so much for the profession coming back and wanting to give back. So we I really appreciate, appreciate that. that. I got a lot to do. I got a lot to give back because it's been very, the profession's being very good to me and my family. So I've got a lot to give back. Uh, we appreciate it. You talked about, you know, kind of this profession moving forward and uh, a big, another kind of hot topic uh, is how we evaluate strength and conditioning coaches. Do you, do you have thoughts on maybe just some 30,000 foot view thoughts or about it, or maybe some specifics, you know, are we doing a good job of evaluating coaches? Is there a better way? Hmm. I, I, everybody's going to have sort of the different fits for their, for their particular system. And I think it's been pretty ad hoc to this point, you know, and it's in, in the coaching profession, a lot of it is network. Mm-hmm. And people say, that's oh, who you know, it's who you know, and it's not about what you, it goes back to the EQ and the network. There's the people part of this business is so important. That's why that becomes a, a thing of networks is because they know that the people part of this business, if you don't have that right, none of the other stuff's going to matter. Right. And so I think no matter how this goes forward is, is we can learn from the ad hoc things, the sort of the informal processes, the subjective process. But there does, I think there's, there's an opportunity for some, maybe it's the NSCA to have, have that ability to add some objectivity to that, if it's no different than the talent identification programs that we're trying to ins- install in some of the countries we're working with, maybe there's an objective quantifiable in there to have a rank order system of, you know, here's here's the inventory of the coaches that are out there right now, and here's how they here's how they rank subjectively, here's how they rank objectively, uh, here's an inventory. It allows you to create an inventory too of needs analysis to uh, regulate, upregulate. You know, I might, you know, his his whatever objective skill set in strength training is great but man his movement stuff is is a little bit low or, or uh, it gives us a somewhat sort of clearinghouse I guess uh, and it also could motivate the coaching staff I want to be as high up that that progression as I possibly can so it could almost help line up some of these young coaches on a professional development pathway so that they're what is it what is it that you want to do I want to be in a clinic in a sports physical therapy setting and a strength conditioning. Well, here's the pathway to that, and here's all the progressive things objectively that you can you can meet to get to that point, and it sets up a trajectory for them to shoot for, and I and I love that because I think that that's uh, that's motivating to people. It's not it's not this oh I don't know enough people in the profession, so right. I'm not going to get my opportunity. Okay. There may be a play there uh, to not only give them opportunities but also to flesh out some of those. Hey, I'll tell you why you're not getting an opportunity. Your people skills are horrible, right. or your ego is so huge yeah. it can't even fit in the room, you know, uh, and helping those folks and helping me, that's, I'm thinking selfishly, that would help me. Cause I've still got a trajectory where I want to be. And I'm not even close. I'm not even close yet. And so I set up a yearly sort of professional development program to get to what I want to be someday. Uh, and those stepwise things that the strategic plan we talked about at the, at the first, you got to do that. You got to have a strategic plan with objectives, strategies, KPIs, 
uh, uh, tactics to use, metrics of monitoring all along the way to get there, or you're just you're just hoping, right? right? You're just floating around, and I see coaches get frustrated that I've oh, I've been I've been floating around here trying to get a job. Well, what have you been doing? What's your plan? Yeah. And silence. I'm like. Bah. If, we, if you knew that you needed a plan or that you were lacking a plan, maybe that would stimulate you to go find somebody to help you construct a plan. Right. And then you'd be able to get to these resources that help you flesh out those tactics and strategies to reach those KPIs of those objectives and reach your goals. That's kind of a, that's a blue sky way of thinking about yeah, it. But I think yeah, the NSC has a real chance yeah. uh, to, 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 to work in that space a little bit more for the coach. I like that. No, and you go, I want to go back a little bit. You, you know, when you talked about realizing that you're selfish uh, and wanting to be more selfless, was that just an epiphany? Like, did so, or did somebody sit down and go, Lance, man, yeah, <laughs> Yo, you got to change? Yeah, like, yeah, how did that yeah. happen? I wish it was like that. I wish somebody would have pulled me aside, you know, but I wasn't going to give anybody a chance to do that. Yeah. So I, I was, uh, I think I started to drive a lot of people away from me. I started to drive uh, coaches away from me. I started to drive athletes away from me. Um, and I was fine with that because I'm, you know, I'm going to be, I'm going to be the guy. I know what's right. And when I started seeing sort of this people not, not gravitating to me, like, like I thought they should, yeah. it was an inward sort of a, what's going on here. And then it's a pulling a couple of guys aside that are friends of mine that I know are going to be honest with me yeah. and saying, look, what's my blind spot? Yeah. I'm missing something here. You know, do I have a big matzo ball on my forehead or something, you know, or a, a horn right. grown out of my left ear? Right. What's going on that I'm, yeah. I'm driving people away. Yeah. Um, and it was honesty from those, from those colleagues of mine that said, yeah, you know what? You're great at this, this and that, but your emotional skills are here, here and here. Mm-hmm. Uh, or you come across as this. And it wasn't, I wasn't doing it intentional. Right. Right. It was just, I, I'm, the perception of me was different than what I was trying because I wanted to help people. Yeah. That was why I got into this, yeah. but I was doing the exact opposite. There's no way I was going to leverage that knowledge to the effectual improvement or help of the people that I was really trying to reach out to. And I think it's, it's like that saying that, uh, I had a bunch of knowledge mm-hmm. and knowledge is knowing that a tomato, I guess is a fruit, right? Yeah. Somebody said that, I don't know who said this. <laughs> One of our athletes told me this the other day, but I had a bunch of knowledge, right? Yeah. But I was lacking the wisdom to know that you don't put a tomato in a fruit salad. You know, and so I was I was missing that that sort of that link sure. in a That's lot of my profession, and I was unable to link up the physio with the research with the. I was I was just I was adrift and wondering why that wouldn't all sync up, and so it ends up you're right. It ends up being a colleague, but it had to be me pulling them aside and yeah. saying, "Look, will you be brutally honest with me and tell me what I'm missing? Where are my blind spots?" And um, I'm not sure how I got emotionally intelligent enough to know to ask that question, right. but I did. That was the epiphany moment yeah. was to ask the yeah, question yeah. because there's no way I. It can self-diagnose myself. There's right. no emotional intelligence mirror right. that you can look into and you can see those those things. You got to have those yeah. trusted colleagues that'll tell you the truth. Yeah. No, that's great because like the self-reflection, that self-awareness. You know, I feel like the, the people that do a good job of that take their coaching practice to the next level. I think so right? too, yeah. and I'm I'm striving to be there. Yeah. I'm such a work in progress. Yeah. I'm so horrible, but <laughs> I see people that are able to do that in their in whatever career it is, yeah. and I aspire to be to be more like that. Um, but I'm no nowhere there, nowhere near a finished product. I'm working yeah. on it. Yeah, oh, that's great. Always a work in progress. Yeah. Uh, how about what are what are some specific roadblocks that coaches need to work watch out for you know and again it's up and coming coaches coaches that are in the trenches right now mm-hmm. or there's some things like that you ran into that you're like man i never saw that coming like you yeah. you guys need to be prepared for this stuff hmm. i think one maybe is the sort of the pendulum swinging coach that you know that the the, the the shiniest the shiniest uh continuing education you, you right. took or the shiniest speaker at the clinic you end up just swinging 
full stroke into that, whatever that philosophy is and not having, and part of that may be just that it's, it's a lack of a system of understanding how to shop for things that work uh, for you. But, but I think we see a lot of pendulum swinging with the, with young coaches. I was a pendulum swinger um, uh, at one time uh, where it was just, wow, that's an amazing thing. I'm going to pull all my eggs into that basket and, and get away from my, what, some things that I know that works instead of looking at ways to, to mix and match. The other flip side of that though, problem uh, that I've, I had in the past and still have occasionally is trying to put too many ingredients on into one sort of, of batch, right? So if I'm a cook, uh, I, you know, I love barbecue sauce, right? Love it. We got some great barbecue in Texas, so I love Hutchins barbecue sauce. Love it. Um, I also love um, um, whipped cream. I love whipped cream. But just because I can go get the best whipped cream in the world and the best barbecue sauce from Hutchins, that doesn't taste good on on the banana that I'm getting ready to eat. You know what I mean? And so I, I think what I, what we get into sometimes is we're, we're pulling, I'm gonna pull this from what I learned from from Scott, you know, on the Olympic lifting. It was unbelievable, those those, those accessory exercises. And I'm gonna take the what I really liked the best from that, and I'm gonna pull it in, I'm gonna mix it with this, and I'm gonna mix it with that, and then I'm gonna put it on top of this athlete without taking the athlete first and seeing what the athlete needs and then understanding the, the component parts and how those might compete with one another or interfere with one another to create the best output. In some cases, you might just need to eat the banana without the whipped cream and the barbecue sauce. Right. This, this athlete might not need anything on there. Yeah. So I think those are the two danger spots right there is the pendulum swinging and then just I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be too much of a shopper, not going in, having a plan, having a, sort of a, somewhat of a, of a recipe list that I'm looking for and then knowing how to put those pieces together in a way that's effectual. Those are the two big, for me, are the biggest dangers that I see from my past career, and I'm still sort of seeing it, I think, in some of the younger coaches uh, uh, as well, some, some of my past mistakes in that way. Oh, those are two great ones. I, I would totally agree that, that I've seen those and continue to see those yeah. uh, with a lot of the young coaches that we deal yeah. with on a regular basis. Um, how about, and I know that you mentioned a little bit about this in your uh, demo, uh, what's the number one people number one reason that people fail to succeed in this profession? You know, you kind of talked about maybe people not being committed enough and yeah. like being transients yeah. in this profession. You yeah, know. I see failure. I've seen some really talented. We have a mentorship program and externship program at MJP where young coaches can come out of graduate programs. They've got to have a little background experience, but they can come in for twelve weeks and we'll train them up. Uh, to be prepared for duty for MJP or anywhere else. Um, and a lot of those young coaches come in, I think, with the idea that uh, that, that their, their progression is going to be linear, that the next step is going to be here, and then it's going to be here. And if it's not up and to the right, toward, exactly towards their goal, in both, both up and to the right, yeah. then it's not the right step for them. And I don't know if that's because of that's the way they were sort of brought up, that every time, you know, the next thing was the best thing. I don't know if there's a millennial thing there or a generation. Maybe there is. Maybe there's not. But I've seen that, and I've seen that capitate people's development, where it's, oh, well, the next step's not up. Well, then I'm going to be out. Yeah. Instead of going ahead and taking a step down, it's like that that periodization curve. Yeah. The next opportunity might not mean more money. Yeah. It might not mean you get to live in the exact location of the world that you want to live in. It might mean that opportunity for what you're ultimately trying to get to might be in, you know, Charlotte, North Carolina for me. I knew nobody out there. That was right. the step wise for me to take that next step or go to the Dallas Cowboys and get paid a couple hundred dollars a month yeah. starting out. <laughs> Dang, I had a pretty nice salary. I was a physio. Yeah. I was a, yeah. I was making some nice money. The next opportunity to get where I wanted to go was not a step backwards. 
I didn't. I think that young coaches maybe yeah. I at one point thought I'm gonna have to step back to go forward. Not necessarily. It's still working to the right, sort of on the on the x axes, right? It may not be on the y axes going up in terms of outputs and money and accolades, but it's moving towards my ultimate goal. And as long as you're not taking those those backward steps, or if you do take a backward step, it's a pivot to get a, a little bit of a running start at something else. Right. I think you avoid some of those those capitations, but it's it's easy to get frustrated, right? Yeah. I mean, it's ah, yeah. oh, it's, it's two years and we all got fired. Yeah. Well, what are you looking for now? I'm looking for that next opportunity that moves to to this stage, and that might be a step down right. to get back onto the onto the trajectory that you that you want. That to me is the that's a that's unfortunate because there's there's some passion people out there that we lose right. because I think. They, they have an unrealistic expectation of the trajectory path of this career. Yeah, no, that's a great. That reminds me of a, a book called The Dip by Seth Godin, and he talks a lot about the you don't know where you're at on this path of in, the plateau is the example that he uses and what you're just saying you don't know you might be on the dip and you're just about to hit that next exactly plateau right. and you're going up to the that. next one but a lot of times you're not willing to kind of ride that dip out to get to that next yeah. and you might be right there yeah and you just yeah. didn't do whatever it is like you just alluded to a couple of different things that could have put you up onto That's that exactly right toes. you get that tunnel vision and you're just down you're just yeah. grinding day after day and not yeah. able to sort of pull back and see the big perspective uh, but that's again that's that wisdom right that's the that's the wisdom that I wish we all we all could get the wisdom of an 80 year old when we were right. 12 years old and then right. I yeah, imagine what you could do there it's all part of that that path and that yeah. process and I'm on a path and I have a good idea where I want that path to go but that that knowing exactly where that path is, no, nah, I don't know. I right. just, I, I just have a, I just know if it's moving to the right, yeah. uh, going, it's, it's going to be fine. Right. Great. Well, this has been super having you on here. Uh, how can people reach you if they want to reach out to you? So, uh, our, our website, michaeljohnsonperformance.com has a link to my, to my bio. And I think in there you can hit me up on an, on a direct, uh, message, uh, Lance, at michaeljohnsonperformance.com is a, an email account. You can hit me. Twitter. I don't even know what my Twitter handle is, but I'm going to get more involved in that because I, I enjoy it. It's yeah. fun. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but look for me on Twitter uh, as well. Those would be the three primary ways. Or just call us up at 469-424-6572 and say, hey, man, I'm going to leave a message for Lance that I'm interested in coach education. I'm interested in the externship. I'm interested in, you know, um, uh, how, do, how do we get involved? How do you get more involved in young athlete development coursework around the globe? Um, and just leave a message and, and I will get back to you and just give me a, give me a chance to kind of catch up. But I will get back to you if you're, if you're passionate about this field uh, and you're, you're looking to be a selfless sort of a service oriented, uh, whether that's a physio or a researcher or, a, or an aspiring strength coach or a 50-year strength coach. I love talking about this stuff because I'm, I'm, I'm getting goosebumps just talking about it. I love this stuff. I'm, I'm really in, enriched by this, and it's, it's a, it's a work-life blend uh, for me, and I, I love sharing that with, with whoever, whoever would listen to me. Great. Well, we appreciate all that you're doing, all the exciting stuff that you guys have coming up. So I hope some people check you guys out. Thanks, and I God. hope uh, everybody else, too, that is thinking about it comes to national. Come to national. Yeah. Seek me and out. Your other session that you're doing. So it'll be great. We'll have a ton to of fun. It. 40th anniversary. We'll see you there. Big time. See you Thanks in Vegas, again guys. for being on. Thank you, Scott. This was the NSCA's coaching podcast. The National Strength and Conditioning Association was founded in 1978 by strength and conditioning coaches to share information, resources, and help advance the profession. Serving coaches for over 40 years, the NSCA is the trusted source for strength and conditioning professionals. Be sure to join us next time.